Church family, thank you all for listening in as we near the end of this series of podcasts. And thank you all for your participation in this process. I know we say that a lot, but I I really don't think we can say it enough. Y'all have been so patient and we really appreciate all of your thoughts and questions. You have all made this process better. We've said this many times, but we've undertaken this study, this period of discernment here at Ackland Avenue, because the elders believe that we may be more restrictive than the scripture intends, and that we're almost certainly more restrictive than the early church, that our tradition tries so hard to emulate when it comes to the role of women. We really wanted to dig in on the scriptures and not to take answers to hard questions for granted. We wanted to do this in public for a a few different reasons. First, as a leadership team, we always want to be transparent in our thinking. Second, we really wanted to take the opportunity to let the whole of our membership be heard. We've sought your input, and frankly, we still want your input. Um, Last, we want to set an example for our children. That example that we're willing to ask hard questions, uh, that we're willing to go to our Bibles and struggle with those hard questions, and that we can struggle together as a body uh, and and seek to answer uh, those questions together. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3. On this podcast, I'm going to look at the scripture and, and unpack that a bit. Next week, Matt will talk about some some early examples of deacons. Bottom line up front, this eldership believes that a fully formed deaconship within the church can and should include deacons, both male and female. It's biblical. It's in line with our heritage and the restoration movement. It's practical when you think about all the areas in which service to the church takes place. And frankly, it aligns what we say we believe with the ways in which people have served our church and that we have organized our practice for at least the last half century. Let's talk about that last one first. Faithful women in our church are doing the work of deacons today. Full stop. If we're being honest, so much of the heavy lifting of this church is done by and has always been done by women. I expect if you think about it, this applies to the congregations you grew up in as well. It certainly did mine. Let's think about that. Somebody's sick or just had a child and we need to get a food list together. Who's doing that? Somebody's had a family member pass away and we want to send flowers as a church. Who's done that historically? Curriculum? If you have taught in the last decade or been a Sunday school uh, helper in class, you know good and well there's a difference between when one of our gifted women puts that curriculum together versus when one of our men does it. Hospitality. Uh, Look at the health team that's guiding decisions about when we meet as we navigate this global pandemic. There are five people on that team. One of them is a man. How many times has your child had a fever in the night or stepped on a nail or whatever, and you call one of our women who is a nurse practitioner or a doctor before you even call your pediatrician? My family sure has. Um, Pastoral care, not just pastoral care for women either. 
Um, but let me talk specifically about that one for a moment as one of the obvious failings of the modern global church, as has been evidenced by the abuse scandals of the last decades. Um, our failing at putting scaffolding around appropriateness and pastoral care amongst the genders is a problem that has hurt the church, uh, both at an individual level and at a global level. Um, and, and so good pastoral care includes women. Um, I remember early on when uh, Paul and Matt and I became elders, uh, Bill and Buford did not give us a lot of specific guidance beyond the examples that they set for us. Um, and we are so thankful for, for those examples. But one of the pieces of guidance uh, that Bill gave us early on uh, that has stuck with me uh, is, hey, listen, when, when y'all go visit women or, frankly, anybody in the church who has pastoral issues that need taken care of, take two of you. Um, and I, I appreciate that. There are some things that it's probably inappropriate for Paul or Matt or I to do ourselves. More importantly, there are some things that are really important um, where a woman in our church may be less likely to come to one of us as a guy. Um, think of situations of abuse or things like that. Um, these are things we need to think about. And sure, some will say, hey, listen, this is just members using their gifts. They're not acting as deacons. But when we unpack what we believe about deacons and what the scripture says about deacons, that these are people responsible for jobs that we've decided as a church are important. All of the above fit that criteria. Uh, one of our church fathers in the restoration movement, uh, Tolbert Fanning, um, argued strongly that deacons as a position was descriptive of the work, that it was not a permanent office. And this is something that really resonates with me and aligns with how we want to see deacons at Ackland Avenue. We want to be able to let people use their gifts in ways that are needed in the service of our church, our body, and our community. It's not in the org chart below the eldership. It's not a training position for the eldership. No, it's aligning our members and their gifts with duties that we believe are important enough to be named and that might be at risk of being neglected otherwise. That's in line with Act 6. In Christian service or Christian deaconship, the ideal is derived from the example and the work of Jesus himself. We want to align with that model. So with that, let's dig into the text. If you'd like to open a Bible, we'll be in First Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter three. Um, I'm just going to start from the beginning, even though we're really going to focus down starting in verse eight. Starting in verse one, the saying is sure, whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Now, a bishop must be above reproach, married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace in the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be serious, not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not greedy for money. They must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them first be tested. Then, if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve as deacons. Women, likewise, must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be married only once, and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I want to start up in verse one, just briefly. Note the whoever, or your translation may say, if someone Those are inclusive terms. I want to say up front, the desire to serve the church is noble and something to aspire to. First Corinthians 12, 28 names service or depending on your translation, help as one of the gifts. There are people in our churches with the gift of service, and it's natural and good for them to desire to use those gifts. We have qualifications for deacons described. And then did you notice in verse 11, Paul refers to women and then in verse 12 comes around to being married only once. Now, in in the above, I was reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Your version may have women. Your version may have wives. There's ambiguity here in in that the, the same Greek word can be translated both ways. If... You're using a Bible on your phone or a tablet that has notes along with it, or if you're reading a study Bible, uh, you may have a note in here with the translator describing the reasoning behind their choice of women or their wives. You can make a reasonable case both ways, and most translations will note this. We should probably note that we can get into dangerous territory uh, pretty quickly defining a a theology based on taking the ambiguity out of the translation of a single word. Um, A a translation that, that frankly, I I prefer and and read a lot uh, is the New English translation. Um, It includes a a note here that I I will just read because I think it gives good clarity on on sort of uh, both ways of looking at this. So, Uh, The note reads as follows, or also deaconesses. The Greek word here is eunikos, which means literally women or wives. It's possible that this refers to women who serve as deacons or deaconesses. The evidence here is as follows. Number one, the immediate context refers to deacons. Number two, the author mentions nothing about wives in his section on elder qualifications in verses one through seven. 
Uh, three, it would seem strange to have requirements placed on deacons' wives without corresponding requirements placed on elders' wives. And number four, elsewhere in the New Testament, there seems to be room for seeing women in this role. See, for example, Romans 16.1 in the comments there. For the other translation, translating it to their wives, um, you can look at the following reasons. Number one, it would be strange for the author to discuss women deacons right in the middle of qualifications for male deacons. Uh, more naturally, they would be addressed by themselves. Number two, the author seems to indicate clearly in the next verse that women are not deacons, where they say deacons must be husbands of one wife. Number three, most of the qualifications given for deacons do not appear here. Um, either the author has truncated the requirements for women deacons or he's not actually referring to women. Um, and then the, the principle given in 1 Timothy 2.12 uh, appears to be an overarching principle for church life and seems to implicitly limit the role. And then they wind up with, nevertheless, a decision in this matter is difficult and our conclusions must be regarded as tentative. Um, I think it's worth saying out loud that we really don't like ambiguity, um, especially in our Bibles. I'm going to use a word that's fallen out of favor uh, of late, but as evangelicals, we generally take our Bible to be, quote, inspired and inerrant. Um, that is, inspired by God and without error in the original manuscripts. But... This is a place where careful scholarship and being honest with ourselves about what we know and what we can't know, that's our friend here, not our enemy. Um, and it wisely cautions us against building an argument or worse yet, a doctrine around a single word in a single verse. So let's talk about what we can know. Um, first, I think it's worth saying that, that the concept of a deacon wasn't new. It didn't just come into being in Acts 6. The pre-Christian Judaic tradition, as well as the pre-Christian Gentile traditions of the Greco-Roman period, had strong traditions of service. Um, Matt's probably going to talk about that some more next week. If you want to go back in your Bible, you can flip back into the Old Testament. Um, you can look at, for example... Exodus 38.8, where the text describes women who serve at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Um, later on in your Old Testament, you, you have uh, those same women um, getting into a bit of trouble uh, in, in 1 Samuel. Now, there is a difference in the pre-Christian and the post-Christian usage of the word. And that's centered in the message of Jesus, who speaks of service as sacramental in nature. It's grounded in service instead of authority or power, as would have been custom in the Greco-Roman culture of the time. But you can feel confident that the groundwork was prepared for the Christian usage of the term deacon well before Acts 6. Um, we see Phoebe named as a deacon in, in Romans 16.1, and this would not have been controversial in the least at the time. Yes, there was a lot of gender division of labor at that time, but this is actually part of the setup for why it wouldn't have been at all controversial. Women were already serving in all kinds of roles, uh, the needs of the needy, strangers, sojourners within the synagogue. 
The word used to describe Phoebe in, in Romans 16.1 is the same word used in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Philippians 1. Modern translations of her Bible may vary in the terms that they use, but we should note that those are choices that modern translators have made. Uh, the, the Greek is the same in all three cases. In New Testament times, there wasn't a feminine form uh, of the word deacon. The term deaconess didn't come into the lexicon until actually several centuries later. So moving on to where we need to make choices or uh, where we need to look at and decide for ourselves as to whether it's women or wives of deacons being described. Um, it would be a bit of an odd choice since there are not similar restrictions placed on the, the wives of elders in, in the earlier part of the chapter. Um, I'll also call your verses to the likewise that is noted in verses 10 and 11, where you get likewise the deacons and likewise the women. That seems to be Paul shifting to describing another category. If Paul had meant wives of deacons, he certainly could have used a genitive pronoun uh, in, in describing them. There's a, a really excellent book uh, that I will commend to you. Um, Stephen Sandifer, uh, in, in his work, uh, Deacons Male and Female, A Study for Churches of Christ, um, sets up a neat chart comparing the qualifications named between uh, verses 10 and verses 11. Um, and this will be hard to do sort of in podcast form, probably in our discussion on Wednesday, uh, I'll get JP this chart so that, that we can include it on the screen. Um, but I, I will just go sort of in, in, in named pairs here. Um, the parallels between 10 and 11. So in 10, we get deacons likewise. In 11, we get women likewise. In 10, we get must be serious. In 11, we get must be serious. In verse 10, we get the deacons must not be double-tongued. In verse 11, we get that women not be slanderers. In verse 10, we get deacons not indulging in much wine. In verse 11, we get the women are temperate. In verse 10, uh, we get the, the deacons, uh, not the men, not greedy for money, uh, whereas we don't have a similar restriction on women. But also there in verse 10, uh, we, we get deacons must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And in verse 11, we get that the women must be faithful in all things. These are strong parallels um, and I, I think make a, a compelling argument that, hey, we, we can look at this as female deacons and not deacons wives themselves but i will say look th this is a hard text unfortunately in our bibles we we don't have a hard instruction manual the exact work is often undefined and i know that makes it hard for us sometimes you know while we're in the text um 
I'll move on to verse 12 for a moment. It's probably worth spending a moment on that married only once and uh, manage their children and households well. Um, David Lipscomb actually wrote at length about this. um, And one of the things that he said um, that really resonated with me was that this should not be viewed as prohibitive, but rather being descriptive of what kinds of wives and children they should have. So basically, if they have a family, if they are married, this is what it should look like. You should be faithful to one wife. You should, you know, raise and manage your family well. Um, but looking at all of this, I'll say we, we can be certain there were female deacons in the first century. They weren't controversial. Female deacons are biblical. We have an example in Phoebe, Centuria, in Romans 16.1. We have, uh, excuse me, Iodius and Syntyche in Philippians 4.2. Um, you probably consider the organization in Acts 9 at, at Joppa, from where we get the story of Dorcas, is the same. You know, Matt will go on. I expect to say more uh, next week. Um, but while we have good proof for female deacons in the time of the New Testament church, and even actually for the next few centuries, their roles are diminished as time goes on. Uh, by the time we get to Martin Luther, the Catholic Church has spent almost a thousand years trying to quash female deacons um, and, frankly, females in ministry at, at large. Reestablishing the diaconate is actually a major focus of Luther, who wants to restore the role of deacon. As he sees, quote, no higher calling than to serve the community by managing and administering funds used to help the poor. This idea uh, travels to America and it travels to the frontier churches of our founding. Um, as we look back in our own tradition, uh, the, the diaconate is actually a major factor in the growth of the restoration movement. Um, if you want to unpack this, you know, by between the time of uh, the founding of our country and, say, 1800, you get a real period of disestablishing official churches, right? This is the, the enforced separation between church and state. So that by the time you get to the year 1800, only about 7% of America actually belonged to a church. By 1850, this number has doubled um, and Sort of similar today, uh, diaconates and lay ministries, basically people performing service to the church and the surrounding community, they were significant in that growth. Um, by the time Alexander and Thomas Campbell come along, uh, Alexander Campbell uh, establishes the office of deacon as sort of a treasure, as he says uh, in some of his writing, setting three tables, the Lord's table, the bishop's table, and the poor's table. Um, He sees a plurality of deacons to avoid fraud. He calls them public servants of the church. He sees room for deacons uh, for, quote, male public servants and female public servants. And I want to pause there for a minute because to our modern ears in our contemporary churches of Christ, I think probably one of the most surprising discoveries in looking back at our own history and our own heritage is the fact that our early restoration 
church fathers, if you will, took female deacons for granted. This was not a big issue at all. Uh, Alexander Campbell in 1835 wrote, quote, from Romans 16.1, as well as from 1 Timothy 3.11, it appears that females were constituted deaconesses in the primitive church. Duties to females as well as males demand this. We have records from a lot of churches of Christ around this time that confirm this. As an example, Chestnut Grove Church of Christ uh, in 1845 appointed male deacons and female deacons, specifically appointing uh, two females in 1845, two more in 1846, three in 1860, two in 1864, and again two in 1865. You know, when we talk about the middle of the 19th century and specifically the time surrounding uh, the Civil War, it could certainly be the subject of another whole podcast, but we probably draw more of our current practices from the cultural and economic differences between how churches in the North and churches in the South sort of grow down different paths from the frontier days until, you know, well after the, the, the Civil War. By 1906, when you see the Churches of Christ show up as a distinct fellowship uh, of non-instrumental churches separate from the, the instrumental Disciples of Christ, um, most of our early writings traced through the Gospel Advocate and also the Disciples Christian Standard are much more concerned with whether the formal office of deacon should exist at all or if every believer should concern themselves with the work of deacons serving as their ability allows uh, than, than it does the issue of female deacons. Um, though, as we get into the 20th century, we definitely see a lot fewer female deacons. Um, the gospel advocate is sort of our, you know, primary pen in the Churches of Christ. Under Lipscomb's tenure as editor, uh, was accused of making a test of fellowship narrower and narrower. Um, a lot of commentary on deacons from this time is about who has power over who. And the people who argue for an inclusive definition argue that it's not a stepping stone into church leadership. It's about serving the church. Um, this debate goes on for decades. It's not ancient history. This is actually in our lifetimes. Um, Carol Osborne, who uh, is uh, a, a faculty member, has been for, for decades at, at ACU, uh, the 1988 lectureship there said the following. He said, there is no indication in the biblical literature to my awareness where deacons are authority figures. They are servants. And to put them a rung above and right below another group is a very, very bad model. A deacon is not a stepping stone to anything. A deacon is just a member of the church that has a specially designated task. And in the early church, whether they were male or female, they just had a specially designated task and didn't have any kind of authority in the church. It seems a lot of our problems in modern times arise when we sign an office to the function. Maybe Tolbert Fanning wasn't off the mark. We have no problems with women performing the functions of service in the church, but we start having issues when we formally name them into an office. Fast forward to today, and you see very few traditional churches in the Brotherhood that have gone the route of having female deacons. A lot of churches, including several in this town, 
have gotten rid of having deacons at all rather than have the conversation about female deacons. Um, they have moved to sort of co-ed ministry teams, if you will. And I'll admit that when I first heard about this, I didn't like it a bit. But the more I sit with it, I at least understand some of where they're coming from. It, it seems that in our near history, the term deacon carries a lot of baggage along with it. You know, it, it's it's funny how traditions evolve. Some of the words published in the past from those within our fellowship, like Fanning and Sewell, maybe even Lipscomb himself, wouldn't be published today at the risk of sounding too liberal. But at the same time, for folks who would say, look, if this new understanding is valid, why have we practiced differently all these years? Y'all, we just don't understand our heritage and where we have come from in our tradition. A lot of things can be true at the same time. I think you can say, hey, there, there were certainly female deacons in New Testament times and churches. This isn't new thought or innovation. It's a return to the primitive church. It's been out of widespread practice for a long time. And because of that, it's likely to cause some consternation. In our tradition, though, for a group to claim like we do, that we name Bible things, Bible names, and do Bible things in Bible ways, without making this a reality, it's troubling. Um, I think you can say what's right for one body may be different in another body. And in this study, we're just looking at what's right for Ackland Avenue. But if we exclude the likewise the women and instead go with a reading of likewise the deacon's wives, we're missing out on a lot. In wrapping this up, I'll finish with a brief story. Um, I attended Ackland Avenue for about 10 years before I got married. For those of you who haven't been here for a long time, the building across the street where the rehab facility is now located used to be a facility called Lakeshore. It was both a, a retirement home slash assisted living facility and a, a skilled nursing facility that was associated with the Churches of Christ. If you look back at some of our old directories, you'll, you'll see times where we had dozens of members who came over from Lakeshore. Um, we broadcast our services over there for years and years. Despite all that, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I went inside that facility in the first 10 years I was at Ackland, maybe for the occasional Sunday afternoon service or maybe some caroling or singing or something like that. Um, I just wasn't there much. But once Ryan and I got married, um, we had not been married for long before some of the women here at Ackland got Ryan involved with Lakeshore, visiting forming relationships, celebrating birthdays, caring for the widows who might have been otherwise at risk of being overlooked, if you will. She did that up through the births of all of our children and, and truly cherished some of those residents and, and the relationships she made there. Um, 
through those visits, that that same spirit of service was passed to our children, who, uh, of course, tagged along. Um, to this day, going over on the first Sunday of the month to help conduct the worship service over there is the highlight of Henry's month at church. At nine years old, he doesn't keep up with a whole lot, but no one needs to tell him when the first Sunday of the month comes around. He knows and tracks it. Uh, back before the pandemic, one day we were in the car and he asked me if he could get a job over there. And uh, I, I paused for a minute and I, I asked him, I said, what 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 would you do over there? And, and he replied just completely nonchalantly. Oh, he said, I could just, you know, go around the halls. I could just walk around it and visit with people. And uh, I, I, I laughed and I, I kind of told him, I said, yeah, I said, you know, we'd have to, to look at the labor laws, but I, I think they'd probably hire you over there. And, you know, uh, I am so thankful that Henry has a heart for service that, frankly, has been passed to him by faithful women, faithful women serving our church and our community. I, I am so thankful for that and, and always will be. Y'all, thank you for your time and your patience through this process. In closing out this podcast, I, I would encourage you to put your questions uh, together in an email to us. Uh, join us on Wednesday evening on Zoom as we discuss these passages in more detail. Um, likewise, I would like to commend two works to you. Um, the first one uh, we've talked about uh, previously, God's Woman Revisited by Gary Burke, it, it is great uh, here in our tradition. The second you heard me uh, refer to earlier in the, the podcast, it is Deacons Male and Female, a Study for Churches of Christ by Stephen Sandifer. I really can't say enough good things about uh, that latter book. I uh Leaned on it heavily as I was looking at some of the, the restoration history of deacons, and I have not found a better uh, collection or, or better resourced and, and annotated uh, study in that. If you would like a copy, I'd be happy to get you one. Just let me know. Um, with that, I will say we will look forward to seeing some of you on Wednesday. On behalf of our shepherds and our whole pastoral team at Ackland, let me just end in saying that we love you all. We pray for each of you daily. Peace be with you this week. Thanks so much.